Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Recorded at WeWork in Midtown Toronto, this is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, hosted by Adam LeVinter. E2 is the podcast where great entrepreneurs tell their story. A quick little admin announcement. Listeners can now support the continued growth of E2 thanks to our friends at Glow. The whole thing takes about a minute. If you're interested, go to glow.fm slash E2. That's glow.fm slash E2. If you enjoy the content we are producing here and E2 is a part of your podcast routine, check that out. This episode is brought to you in part by GoHenry. GoHenry is on a mission to help millions of kids be good with money. They offer a debit card and an app with parental controls designed specifically for children aged 6 to 18. Kids use the card just like an adult, but can only spend under the limits set by their parents. Parents use the app to set automatic allowances and chores, put caps on a child's spending or restrictions on where the card can be used. Kids get a customized debit card with their name on it, very cool, along with the app to help them learn how to manage their money. This is way more than a digital piggy bank. It's a complete money management tool. It's 2020, so get financially fit and make allowance easy and fun. Check out GoHenry.com. That's GoHenry.com. Today is my great chat with Chris Ronzio, who's the founder and CEO of Trainual, a leading SaaS company helping fast-growing businesses automate their onboarding and training by documenting every process in one simple system. With Trainual, Chris is on a mission to make small business easier by automating training manuals for companies all over the globe. And in this one, we get into the origins of the company, whether a startup's geographical location actually matters when scaling, the concept of tool overload, email hacks like getting to inbox zero and why deleting your email folders is perhaps the most efficient productivity move for your sanity, and way more. So without delay, here is my interesting chat with Chris Ronzio. Lots to talk about. Let's start here with your mission, right? To make small business easier by automating training manuals for companies all over the world. How does Trainual make this all happen? Yeah, so Trainual, when it started, was meant to be just a really simple place to write down how your business worked. And so from the beginning, Trainual has just been a simple software, a, a place to write things down. So before Trainual, I was using Google Docs and Word Docs and Dropbox folders. And initially, I had a WordPress site that was a content management system, you know, where we were writing blog posts and password protecting pages and had areas of the site for different um, roles in the company. 
And it was just so much to manage. And I felt like there should be an easier system. So, um, you know, part of how we're tackling this mission, making it so everyone can have a playbook is just making it easier to create one. So prior to this, you're running Organized Chaos, which was a consulting business. Yeah. And then were, were you building this piece of software on the side? How did that transition happen? Yeah. So Organized Chaos was an operations consulting business. And so what we would do or what I would do, it was just me at the beginning, is go business to business and interview all of the employees there and get a feel for what was going on and then try to understand where the bottlenecks and the inefficiencies were and where some of their process breakdowns were. And so every time I very naturally just started organizing roles and responsibilities and, and auditing their workflows and started setting up new software tools. And every company had some Dropbox folder or three ring binder or some place where at some point someone at a conference told them you should have SOPs and they would start that exercise and then never finish it. And so I had a few freelance developers that I had worked with on other projects and we started just hacking away at building the the MVP of Trainual. And so at first it was just for my consulting clients and this was back in 2015. And so from 2015 to 2017, my clients never paid me for it. It was just something they got for free to use. And it was a way for me to sell the consulting work. But then little by little over those few years, people would get referred the tool from one of my clients and they'd say, well, I don't want the consulting, but how do I sign up for the software? And so I made like a little sign up page where people could actually get the software and it was horrible. The tool was terrible, but it it did the job like just well enough that people would pay $49 for it if they had a big enough problem. And so over a few years, it turned into this little tiny thing that, you know, paid my car payment. But that's really all it was at the beginning. Given your background as an entrepreneur, a consultant, an operator, web development is a whole other beast, right? And so you're architecting this piece of software on the side and you've got these specifications from this first basket of clients. How did you get the product or the system that you wanted? I was really building it for me without a whole lot of research or any research, without you know focus groups or user testing or any, any of that. And this idea of uh, UX and UI and product management, I feel like was all pretty new. I had never heard it before. And it seems really popular now or pretty commonplace, but... Um, for me, it was just I was used to using software tools, and so I could piece together the general experience I wanted with one of my own. And so my development experience or product experience came from a few consulting projects mm -hmm. where it's it started with me working, you know, doing just the process consulting. And then a customer would say, you know, I've tried using this software. I've tried using this software. This one's great, except it's missing this. I wish these things would just be connected. And I knew enough that I knew there were APIs and I knew there was Zapier and I knew there were ways to connect software. And so I was dabbling in, in you know, understanding products and, and wireframes just little by little. It was like a, a, I couldn't mess this up because no one was paying me for it. So let me just build something that... You know, it, it's it's like as simple as making a blog post. We needed a, a WYSIWYG editor, you know, like, like a text editor. And then we needed a, a way to search the stuff that people entered. And then we needed a way to group things together by department in the company. 
And so it was just this very organic process of uh, me saying unintelligently, I want a page for this, <laughs> you know, a page that looks like this and let me sketch it out. And then the developer sending something back. And, and, uh, I think the fact that I wasn't really setting out to make a scalable business or didn't have any product expertise, I was just kind of a user and trying to build something that I could use. I think that, uh, you know, worked in my, in my favor and helped, helped make it really simple. So 3000 companies today, um, how do you think about system or product enhancements now? We do these jam sessions where we get people from all departments together to think through ideas and we do calls with our users. But I think if you strip all that back, the product we're building is still me trying to build something that I want to use. And I think it's really important to understand that, you know, I've got this vision for the product that I set out to make at the beginning. And a lot of people will make suggestions to custom tailor it for their very specific use case. And while that's useful to get people's feedback and perspectives, you've got to look at a more macro picture of the feedback that you're getting and understand, does this really fit within the box of the product we want to create. And so a lot of it at this point is this filtering game where we're trying to collect feedback and understand what people are trying to do and not necessarily just reactively build the things that they say they want, but try to understand why they want that and are they our target customer and how many of our customers are, would benefit from building this or is it just kind of an obscure feature request? And so we're, we're, I think, growing up a little bit and, and maturing a little with our processes when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned target customer. What is the typical profile of a target customer today? The avatar in my head is someone with five to 500 employees. And it could be employees. It could be volunteers. It could be uh, contractors. It could be just, you know, whoever, five to 500 people you want to train. And the reason for those parameters is when you've got fewer than a, a cup handful of people, you're, you're pretty much just going to train them verbally or send them an email or sit next to them and show them how to do something. Um, so you really don't invest the time and the resources into this until you're doing it more consistently. Uh, and then when you've got thousands of people, the bureaucracy of the, an organization that size you know, makes it complex to just execute things. There's so many tiers of management, permission controls, and there's great enterprise tools to solve problems for big companies. So we're really in, in between. Are you getting businesses coming to you and saying, Chris, I need this because I'm endeavoring to sell my business in two years and this is going to help? Absolutely. I was talking to someone yesterday. They are a a big franchise for a plumbing business. And they were talking about how as they uh, try to position the company for sale, how much higher would their multiple be or their valuation be if they had a turnkey playbook that they could just hand over to the new buyer. And so it's a confidence builder, I think, for for any company if you can formalize your processes and be able to show the buyer, hey, look, everything's written down. Because when you go to buy a business, that's the the buyer's biggest concern is can this thing run without you? You know, if if you're mm -hmm. the one that's in here every day, how how much of a linchpin for this whole operation are you? And if we pull you out, can the business still exist? That's why there's a lot of you know earnout type arrangements where you don't get compensated until you prove that the the operation could run without you. 
Let's talk about pricing for a minute. A 20-person company can get Trainual for roughly $100 a month, and then they can get premium for about $150 a month. Let me know if I get any of this wrong. This is all in US dollars. You also serve the Canadian market uh, as well as the UK. And then your pricing scales with headcount. So for instance, if a company goes from 20 to 50, the pricing changes. How did you come up with this pricing model? And has there been any resistance from clients who feel it's too expensive? So how did we come up with it? Again, I was building a product that I would be a user of. And so I looked at all the other tools I subscribed to and I thought, okay, if I've got this, you know, at least handful of people that I'm trying to train and this is a need for me, then is $100 a month fair? That seems like a good starting point. We actually started with a $49 plan, a $79 plan, and it just turned out that as we understood our customer better and better, we saw their price sensitivity and and ended up with our, our minimum at 99. And that could change in the future. So who knows what the, those toggles will be when people are listening to this. Where we made the pricing scale is it was always somewhat tied to users because we knew that the larger a company was, the more value they'd get out of the system. So they'd pay more for that value. But from day one, I knew I didn't want to charge per user because when companies, uh, when software tools charge per user, it's almost an incentive to justify why you don't want to add people to the system. You know, like, oh, we only need this many licenses because really only these people need to use it. The value of Trainual is the individual accountability of has this person been onboarded into your company? Has this person seen all the newest best practices and signed off on all the latest procedures? And are they up to speed 100%? And if you don't have that individual accountability, then the whole system suffers. And so instead of doing individual pricing, we went for these buckets of users. Um, when we first launched, it was 25, 100, or 250, which turned out to be far too broad. So now today we have buckets of 25, where it's 25, 50, 75, 100. And then on top of that, you choose whether you want pro or premium, which is really just based on the features. So the premium has more of a dedicated support rep. It has you know other features in the site like screen recording. It consolidates a couple things. And so that's how we went about pricing. But pricing is a very iterative thing. You know, even if you were to toggle to different markets, the, the different currencies, there's a different willingness to pay for a tool in the UK versus in the US or Australia versus Canada. Mm -hmm. And so we've started to experiment with pricing that's more market specific. The US is your, your primary market. You've got the bulk of your customers are probably there. Why, why Canada and, and then the UK? And how do you think about market expansion beyond those markets? Well, those other countries all speak English. So it was really just, you know, we're having such success in the U.S. that uh, can we leverage our same marketing and our same ads and our same landing pages and see how they work in those other audiences? And to some extent, they have. So now we're getting more specific about custom tailoring messages in those audiences. But, um, you know, the the tool we have paying customers and over 50 countries and users in over 100 countries. So it's, it is it is a worldwide tool. And so we're, again, it's another area we're maturing and we're getting smarter about how to approach other markets. When you're pitching prospective customers, I mean, this seems, this tool seems so intuitive. There's so much value here. 
what is some of the feedback related to why a company wouldn't want to use this? Well, important distinction. I don't think we pitch any customers because I'm I'm very anti sales. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we the only place we're really pitching would be, I guess, in our in our ads. Sometimes we're making a compelling case for why you should document your business. But I would never want to convince someone to try to sign up because then I think when people are sold, they are looking for reasons to fail and prove you wrong. Whereas when people self-select that, yes, it's time, I need this, let me sign up for this, Mm -hmm. um, it's really them taking that leap. And so I think that's an important distinction. Now, when people have either decided not to sign up or left the platform, the number one reason is that they don't have the time. And they, you know, when you're running a business, you're, you're sometimes putting out fires. You've got a a dozen competing priorities. You've got a client you're trying to close to, to keep the lights on and pay, make payroll. And so the idea of documenting your business, making a playbook can fall to the bottom of many people's to-do lists because the urgency isn't there until you have someone quit and put in their notice and you've got to scramble to figure out what they did or until you realize that your you know sales team has dramatically different performance from your top performer to your worst performer and and you all of a sudden it's a priority to fix that that's our biggest challenge and that's how we're focusing on making the product better is how do we eliminate those excuses how do we make the manual right itself Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But you probably have use cases, uh, for example, as it relates to the amount of time it would take to onboard a new employee, generally speaking, without Trainual, and then how fast it would be with Trainual in place. Do you have any of that data? Oh, yeah, of course. And we have, you know, these anecdotal case studies of people that say it used to take me three months to get someone Mm -hmm. up to speed. Now it takes four days or it used to take a month and now it takes a week. Um, So there's there's a lot of different case studies that speak to that. But I think the the other side of the equation is how much time does it take to shave 75% off your onboarding. You know, so let's run through that. For example, if it used to take a month and now it takes a week, you've you've saved yourself three weeks of getting that, that new hire up to speed. Now, if you're only gonna hire one person a year and it took you six weeks to build out all your training, then it probably wasn't the best use of time because you know you you spent six weeks to save three. It pays off over two years. Whereas if you're hiring ten people or you're training you know fifty volunteers or you've got a continuous flow of contractors coming in coming out, then the ROI on sitting down to write your training is enormous. How do you think about competition? Do you pay attention? to other competitors? Are you seeing more copycats? 
Yeah, I see copycats ads on on uh, Instagram and things popping up all the time, and and you know people will copy our our pricing and they'll copy our taglines and they'll copy our website. Um, so it's it's I try not to focus on that. I I see it as validation that when those things pop up, it's you know we're doing something right. And if if something's working, of course there's going to be competition. I don't want to be reactive and say, okay, we need that for Trainual. We need this for Trainual. I want to be more focused on you know what's what's the most minimal thing that we're trying to build. What's it been like to scale your company and build your team in Arizona? To my knowledge, you're originally from the East Coast or you're from Boston. Uh, mm -hmm. I would imagine those markets are, are great for, for Trainual, um, and you've probably got customers out there. Have there been any challenges related to where you are physically? I don't think the geography has much to do with the success of your business. Uh, I think it's, you know, you've got to live in a place you want to be. And so, you know, I moved out here to Arizona 10 years ago because I like blue skies and sun and nice weather. Uh, I, I don't like uh, when flights are delayed from snowstorms and that doesn't happen here. Uh, so, so I picked a, a place that I wanted to be that I was happy in. And it just so happened that this is a really vibrant entrepreneurial scene. You know, the, the community is really embracing what we've done and what others are doing in town. And you know, I think that idea of like an underdog kind of location is powerful because everybody wants to help you succeed. Yeah. You don't have to compete to try to get advice from the important people in town. You can email anyone you want and say, I'm doing something cool and I'd love to take you to coffee. And, and you know, I found everyone to be really accessible here. And I think that's been a huge asset for us. You mentioned tools earlier as it relates to competition, but I think we're at a point in time now where there's just an overabundance of tools and almost to a detrimental extent, like just off the top of my head, if we think about project management stuff, um, I'm just going to rhyme off a few names here. So there's Asana, Trello, Basecamp, uh, Jira, Evernote, the list goes on. Um, what is your take on this notion of, of tool overload and how do you recommend business owners go about finding uh, the right tools for them? Well, I think that there's some tools that are just so foundational to running a business that you're going to have them. So a project management system, a CRM, some type of chat system, some type of email and calendar system. You know, those, those are like going to Home Depot or something and getting like a drill and a hammer, you know, like they're, they're the basics. And if you're starting a business or if you're starting a toolbox, you need the basics, but then depending on what you're trying to build with your business or your tools, you're going to need some more specific tools as well. And so I would caution people to not be worried about tool overload. And so you evaluate individual tools, software or otherwise on the perceived ROI or the benefit of that tool. And they're, they're mutually exclusive. So you can have a hundred different pieces of software or you can have 10. It just depends on the nature of your business and how complex the thing you're doing is. And little by little, you're investing in these monthly subscriptions or one-time fees or whatever it is. And you're cobbling together this impressive way to get the work done that you probably could never have done 10 years ago. So I, I, I love software tools. I'll put you on the spot. Let's just take small businesses um, so that we can narrow 
a little bit. What are some of your favorite tools for email, CRM, project management, general note taking? Okay, let me try to do in order. So email, I'm a huge Gmail fan, but besides just using Gmail, I use a tool called SaneBox, which filters out the urgent from the unimportant email and helps me unsubscribe to things in the black hole, they call it. Um, so it's just a great system for managing your email. I used to use Boomerang. I used Streak as a CRM, which was in your Gmail inbox. Um, I've got so many different Gmail plugins installed. So huge Gmail person for email. Um, what, what was the next one? Notes? Uh, let's go with CRM. CRM, HubSpot. Uh, we, I got, I got hooked on HubSpot just because it was a free CRM. You know, you can layer on the marketing tools and the sales tools, and then it starts to cost a lot of money. Uh, but at least getting started, if you need a simple funnel and you want to move things between stages and you want to send template emails, it was a great tool to get started. Project management, uh, we use Asana in-house. So you know, I've used Basecamp. We used Teamwork and really liked that before switching to Asana. And we used to, you know, Trello is an amazing tool that I don't necessarily consider project management, but you can manage things through Trello to a, a certain level, ceiling of complexity. So that's a, a, another good place to start. Notes, I've got over 10,000 notes in Evernote. So a pretty basic one, but love it. Uh, we use Slack for, for conversation. Yeah. Well, you're anti-sales, so I won't ask you about sales tools. So where does the anti-sales mentality come from? And, and what does your inbound look like without sales? So that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think I am totally anti-sales, but I'm, I, I like more helpful consultative sales than outbound aggressive volume sales. So, uh, I guess this goes back to, um, you know, my first company was a, a video production company. And while we had contracts with organizations, they didn't typically pay us. We typically had a revenue share that was based on the sales of the videos from the events that we'd film. And so most of our sales were $10, $20 transactions with parents that were buying a DVD of their kids' performance. And so um, we had something that they wanted, right? We had a great location in the venue, we had great equipment, we would hand out the DVDs or thumb drives as they were leaving. So they had that instant gratification. We had something they wanted. And to me, that was the, the challenge was how do I make them want this so bad? I don't have to sell them. And so they'd come up to the table and say, I don't, you know, I don't even care what the price is. Like, here's my card. I just need one in the next five minutes because I've got to catch a flight. And so I think it got so deeply ingrained in me that if you market well enough and you create a product that people want enough, you don't really have to sell. You just take orders. So the same philosophy got carried through to, to Trainual, which is, you know, I want to be able to explain at scale the benefit of the platform and who it's for and show you some case studies of how it's worked for other people. And then I want people to want it bad enough that we don't have to sell them. So 100% of our business is inbound. Uh, more than 90% don't talk to anyone. They just sign up through the website. And the ones that do talk to someone are really talking to our customer success team to say, you know, 
here's how this specific uh, feature works, or let's talk about your business and whether we're a good fit, but it's not trying to sell them. Have you grown to 3,000 off of referrals primarily? Uh, no, we have a, a really large paid advertising strategy. So it's been part through referrals, part through affiliates, part through events and, and PR. And then uh, the rest of it has been through Facebook and Instagram and just kind of broadcasting our message more at scale. How do you split up your ad dollars? Like how much is going to paid ads on Facebook and Google versus say affiliate marketing versus some other channel? Well, with affiliates, we pay a commission, but we're not, you know, dedicating like a, a budget to that because the budget's kind of unlimited. It's, it's a commission for what they generate. Mm -hmm. Um, so for us, it's, it's, you know, the, the traditional stuff like Facebook and Instagram and Google. And then there's the next tier of things like the review sites, G2 and Captera and YouTube pre-roll ads and getting into LinkedIn, the lead magnets and things that are more top of funnel. Um, the, the other investment we've made has been in content. So we have a full-time video producer in house. We are shooting videos constantly. We've got a, you know, a YouTube channel, a whole resource section on our website. And so there's a definite cost to that, but it's less directly tied to acquiring a customer because it's, it's so far up funnel. Um, the advice I got from a, a, a mentor of mine was put 85% of your ad budget into acquisition and 15% into brand building. And so we've kind of followed that mix. Yeah. You guys are content machines. Like your videos on YouTube are, are really, really valuable. And I, I highly recommend people search Chris Ronzio and watch your videos. Uh, I'll probably ask you about a couple in a minute, but great stuff on YouTube. Has it been effective? I don't think it's been effective yet because it's so early in what we're doing. You know, mm. none of this stuff works overnight. And so we've been publishing to YouTube for seven months or something like that. Uh, and I don't have any expectation that it would be a top channel for us after doing it for so little time. And, it, it, you know, I think it's the same for it, Instagram. I put a lot of effort into into Instagram and IGTV when that came out and we do our newsletter and and all, all these things are about consistency and over time seeing what they produce um, because there's there's nothing negative that will come from it. It's, you know, worst case scenario. It's great repetition for sharing types of messages that I want to deliver on stages at keynotes or that I want to make it into my book eventually. Um, so that's worst case scenario. Best case scenario is, you know, a couple of videos go a little viral and we start to develop a bigger audience and, and, uh, be seen as more thought leaders. And, and that's what we're trying to do on the content side. It's, it's not at all to generate sales. Um, it's, you know, that's, that's so far down the, the funnel, the, the, the thing we want to generate is awareness. We want people to know what trainual is and associate trainual with the playbook for their business so that when they are focused on that problem, it feels like the natural choice. Yep. One of those videos is related to email and getting to inbox zero. Mm -hmm. So you, you have this um, methodology, let's call it, to delete, delegate, defer, or do. Yep. Um, but also this idea of deleting folders, which yes. is unique and different, right? Why do you suggest people delete folders from their email processing? 
Well, folders or labels or whatever you call them, I think are over-organizing and it takes too much time to manage. So the example I think I gave in the video or I've, I've shared elsewhere is imagine if every time you went to a website and you got some value out of that website and thought, maybe I want to reference this later. If every one of those websites you stopped and you bookmarked it and you had this elaborate structure of bookmarked websites and instead of ever Googling something, you would just go and look through your your sequence of of folders of of the sites that you visited. It would take so much more time mm -hmm. than if you just went to Google and searched for the name of the company or the topic or whatever and then said, oh, yep, there it is. It's the third thing down the list. So my feeling is that email is the same way. If I want to reference, if I want to find an email, I'm going to look for the person that sent it to me. I'm going to look for the topic that I, some word I know they said in the email. I might search by the date or the month that I got the email. Like there's so many contextual clues to find the thing you were looking for that it is such a waste of time to over-organize. So I say delete all your folders, delete all your labels, just archive all your emails and trust that you can actually find them. Okay. Uh, you've gotten into podcasting, right? The yeah. The process makes perfect podcast, Yeah. which is, I think, fairly new also, right? 10 episodes or so? Yeah, we did 10 episodes and we launched it in September of 2019. So we took a different approach and recorded the episodes over about a year because it just took that long to get those guests that we wanted. And then we released it all at once, kind of like a Netflix binge style. So slightly different approach. Uh, John Warlow has been on, mm -hmm. right? Author of Built to Sell. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with John's stuff, what were some of the key takeaways from that episode? Well, I remember reading John's book, you know, five years, six years ago, something like that. Um, his book and the pod, his podcast are called Built to Sell. And I love the idea that even if you don't intend to sell your business, it would be smart to build it so that you could one day sell it, you know? And so, so that the, the concept is that you don't have to ever sell your business, but you should be able to. And if you build a company that could be sold, then it will you know, either be a valuable asset for you or it will be a much easier business to run. And so he has so many great tips in his book. It's kind of a parable of this person trying to sell a graphic design company. And uh, and so we, we got to talk about that a lot. And, and uh, it was nice to hear him say how you know, him validate how important tools like Trainual are to document your business because uh, it didn't exist, obviously, when he wrote the book. In the last few minutes, where do you want to point listeners to for more on, on Trainual? Well, uh, like you already mentioned, graciously, I think the YouTube channel is a, a, an awesome place for content that we're investing a lot in. So that's just youtube.com slash Chris Ronzio. Uh, LinkedIn, very active on posting videos. And then Instagram is kind of my behind the scenes of what I'm doing day to day personally. So uh, feel free to connect anywhere. And as a fellow podcaster, I'll also plug your podcast, Process Makes Perfect. Yes. Wherever listeners consume audio, they can find you. Well done, man. It's been great to see the growth of this. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. E2 is brought to listeners in part by Scriberbase. Visit scriberbase.com for more info. Indochino, made to measure suits and shirts at a great price. More at indochino.com. And WeWork, where businesses thrive. More at wework.com. If you like E2, 
you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your audio. Leave us a review. Even become an exclusive supporter of the show. Visit glow.fm slash e2 to do so. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Electric acid.